Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. Going to talk some USC football, of course. That's what we always do on the Peristyle Podcast with Dan Weber, uh, beat writer and columnist for uscfootball.com. Apologize for not having a show earlier in the week. Harvey Hyde was on special assignment, and I'm still trying to finish up all the remodeling in the bathroom. Was doing a lot of work in the house, so we delayed a little bit. We're doing it on Thursday. Not a lot going on, but Dan put up a couple of great columns uh, since we've last talked to him. So I want to talk to him about his sit-down one-on-one with USC head coach Clay Helton and also the five different TV times that were announced uh, yesterday, I believe it was. So we're going to talk about that and then answer all of your questions. If you have questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email, or you can text us or leave a voicemail at 424 254 9141. We are on the iTunes, itunes.com slash peristyle podcast, Google Play and Stitcher Radio and Audio Boom and TuneIn Radio and a lot of different ways to get the show. We just appreciate you taking some time out of your busy day, your busy lives to listen to us ramble on about USC football. And uh, we do appreciate it. And thanks for all the, the listens and the emails and all the comments. Uh, well, let's bring in Dan Weber and talk to him about the latest of what's been going on. How are you doing, Dan? Doing good. Yeah, really uh, happy that uh, you know Clay's been tra- like a lot of the coaches been traveling a lot, and happy uh, you know that we got a chance uh, Friday to you know sit down with him for Memorial Day weekend, and then uh, sure enough, I think it was out for a little bit yesterday, and uh, they announced the uh, the early TV times, uh, most of September, and uh, we're starting to fill in you know how the schedule is going to go and. Uh, uh, so we had to kind of scramble to, to get a, a reaction to that and not thrilled, uh, with, you know, you were really hopeful that, uh, the early season would help set, set the tone for USC, but maybe not going to get as much out of it as, as you'd hope, but, uh, but we can get more specific as we go along here. Yeah, for sure. That's, uh, you know, one of the topics we wanted to bring up, uh, but, you know, as, as far as the TV schedule, so we're talking about that in a second. But um, just, you know, if people wanted to read your column, two columns you wrote about your sit-down with uh, with Clay Helton, you can do that. It, they're up on uscfootball.com. So Dan had one-on-one access to USC's head coach and uh, some really good stuff in those columns. So I, I definitely encourage you to go check them out. Uh, but maybe, Dan, any kind of thoughts, uh, you know, what you felt after, you know, leaving the room with, with Clay Helton and being able to talk to him for a while and just kind of pick his brain on USC football? Well, I like it that he does really seem to be a guy who learns from, uh, you know, what just happened and how, and, 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 and yet doesn't depart from his basic philosophy, you know, and way of doing things. And I think he's somebody who can, uh, look at last season and say, you know, this is, this is where we got it right. This is where we really got it right. This is where the kids, really seem to pick up on what we were trying to do. Uh, but it's never one of those, the kids didn't get it. It's the coaches and the kids together, uh, didn't have it figured out or, 
you know, and, and going into the season, now, you know, admit now that, boy, they just weren't ready. Uh, he used the word, you know, immaturity uh, for that, you know, the team that ended up one and three. And uh, that immaturity, you know, applied to the coaches as well as the, as the kids. And I think that's the exact way to do it. And with the sense of when they figured out this is what this team needs, this is the routine that they needed and the teaching and the uh, repetition they needed each week uh, and the routine they had to get into to be able to measure, okay, what we're doing is working, what we're doing is, uh, you know, and the, uh, just the, the kinds of things that he's going to take from last year, carry them over to this year. The, how soon in in, uh, in July, August practice, we used to call it August practice, now it's July practice, uh, they're going to get into uh, the same weekly schedule. You know, off. You know, they're going to take off right away the first Sunday, even though practice is Saturday. The first field practice is Saturday, July 29th. They're taking off the next day. Uh, Sundays are off, he says, and that's we're going to get into that routine. And in two weeks, then they're going to start going into, or in, excuse me, they're going to have four weeks of basically uh, game type weeks and two two weeks, the final two weeks of absolute mock game week and game week. And uh, I think they set the tone of, from last year. This is who we are. This is how we do things. And this is what we expect on the practice field. And, uh, you know, and I, I like that. And I like it that, that he, you know, knows that for all the reasons they weren't ready to go last year, physically uh, and schematically, uh, they just didn't have their stuff together, uh, you know, especially to play, you know, in Alabama and to play a, uh, a Stanford. And, uh, you know, I think that will stand them in good stead going into this September, which is another decently challenging, although the games are at the Coliseum for the most part. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's a challenging, early part of the schedule with some big names on there. And I think it gives Clay Helton a chance to kind of build on that momentum from last year, but there's some pitfalls there too. So it's, it's interesting what he was saying. So I definitely have, have, encourage everyone to go check out those stories up uh, on uscfootball.com. And then speaking. Well, uh, I mean, I think I, and, and we probably should mention it's brought some significant changes already. And as they look at the schedule, it's different from last year because of the fact that no two a days. So essentially that's, uh, elongated everybody's preseason from four weeks to five weeks. So you get 29 practices, but you're going to start them in, in July. And, uh, that's really changed their approach to, um, to summer workouts. For example, the player run practices, they're just going to have six of those, which follow the conditioning sessions. I think they're going to do a lot more conditioning inside, a lot more, uh, you know, stuff where they uh, measure. You know, I think they're going to be able to use that catapult system more, uh, more thoroughly, more uh, smartly. Let's say uh, they're really working hard on the hamstring prevention program that that really did did quite well last year, and uh, uh, so I think they they understand. That they're without a buy, you're going to go five straight weeks in the summer and then 12 straight weeks in uh, in the season. So that's 17 straight weeks without any time off. So 
So they're letting them come in, and they're not hit, pushing them quite as hard in June, for example. Uh, they didn't push hard to get all the high school graduates and incoming freshmen, the last 15, to be in here uh, uh, for the first summer session, which has already started. They told them, you're not graduating until June. Take your time. Be here for the second summer session, which doesn't start until June 23rd. So they won't have all the freshmen here until June 23rd. And that's, you know, uh, that's a good bit whether some of them can get in for the earlier uh, sessions or not, local kids maybe. But uh, And then, because the summer sessions at USC are at a different time frame this year, they're still going to be in class, a lot of those kids, all the way up until like August 10th. So they're going to be practicing for pretty much two weeks while they're already, while they're also in class. Now, in some ways, that gets you more into the way things are, you know, when the season starts. But that's not been the case in recent years. In recent years, you know, you've had them completely. They were in their own dorm and, uh, for, for the camp part of it and it was all football. That won't be the case, uh, this summer. So it's, it's a, they've had to, you know, adjust their plans and, and they have and, uh, and, and Clay said, and we'll be ready to adjust them again if we think we have to. But, uh, but they've, uh, they're not sticking and, you know, sticking to, okay, this is what we did last year. This is what we're going to do this year. Uh, and you got to like that, uh, because things do change, but they're trying to also keep the routine as much the same as they can. So it's a, it's a, it's a, an interesting challenge of, of doing things differently because circumstances change and yet trying to stay with the pattern that really worked well for you. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it, constantly changing. Rules are changing and you have to adapt. And obviously Clay Helton does have a ton of head coaching experience. So maybe it might be easier for a guy that's new to the game to adapt because he's not so far set in his ways. He hasn't been doing the same thing for 15 years. Uh, that'll be interesting to see how that turns out. But you, you yeah, I think, that, I think oh. that's exactly correct. I think that's, he's, uh, he got a lot of, you know, fresh thinking going on. I think, you know, he, he listens to everybody. He, uh, considers everything, but I, I do think he, he's not, you know, he's not set in his ways in some ways. In other ways, I think he's really set, set in terms of, uh, what the weekly preparation has to look like. So, you know, it's, you need some things that are really fixed principles. Uh, this is how I coach and it's who I am, but then this is, I also can adjust and I also can, you know, react to, you know, the things that change and I'm not going to let them overwhelm me. We're just going to say, well, we'll, we'll figure this out and we'll, we'll get a better result as, you know, when we do. Um, why don't you, you, you mentioned like the beginning of the schedule and there's the challenges and stuff there. Well, we know now know some of the times and you put a column up on uscfootball.com and I'll just kind of get your thoughts on this, but I'll let people know. So the game times that have been announced, the opener, September 2nd, Western Michigan, will be 2.15 p.m. kickoff uh, on the Pac-12 network. Uh, September 9th, the next week, home game against Stanford, 5.30 p.m. on Fox. Uh, September 16th against Texas, another 5.30 p.m. on Fox. Those are big Fox games. Then uh, you're going to go at California on September 23rd. Don't know the time there but at Washington State. So two road games in a row, and these are six days apart. A Friday night game, September 29th, 7.30 p.m. on ESPN against Washington State. And then uh, the trip to annual trip, to, well, biannual trip to Notre Dame 
October 21st. That'll be a 7.30 p.m. game on NBC. Right. Uh, yeah, some, some quick takes. I, I just think it's really unfortunate that the, you're coming in with all this momentum off the Rose Bowl uh, and with all the Sam Darnold hype. And, and you know, here's the maybe the Heisman front runner, and he's going to be appearing on a network that at the most gets into 15 million homes that most people around the country will not be able to see. I know there are national uh, college football and basketball writers who have asked the Pac-12, hey, could we get a pass so we could at least watch the game because it's not on our cable system? We could watch it on our on our, our laptop. And Pac-12 decided apparently, eh, nah, we don't need to do that. So here's, you know, you know, Sam Darnold will be, you know, opening the season in, in relative obscurity. I mean, he went from the, you know, the highest, uh, you know, visibility you could possibly get at the end of that Rose Bowl game. And it's kind of a shame. And a 2.15 start, uh, September 2nd, they're probably, uh, you know, aiming to beat that, uh, I actually covered the last time it was like 100 degrees in the Coliseum when they played Purdue. I don't know if you were, I was you there, were there yeah. for that. For that game, it's very but, hot. Uh, uh, but I, I was actually covering Purdue. I was working in Chicago, and I mean, when you went down to the field at the end of that game, everybody—I mean, there wasn't anybody who wasn't just like a, a dish rag that needed to be, you know, uh, you know. Uh, I don't, I don't even know what the word is. Yeah, wrong we out. Were just like a dish rag soaking, right? Yeah, I mean, we're just soaking. And I, I get the bad feeling. I mean, at times we're not happy with the night games, but I think early in the season at home at the Coliseum, you wouldn't mind a night game. And the fact that the Western Michigan game, even though they won 13, they lose their coach, they lose their best three players and that kind of thing. Um, the Pac-12 probably had no choice because the other games, I mean, as far as their feature game, which I guess that's their feature game, they've got five on that day. It's the middle game. But the four other opponents, I think, that the Pac-12 is playing that day are Portland State, Montana State, Northern Arizona, and for the life of me, I'm not even sure I can remember the, the next one, but four uh, teams that, that you couldn't possibly care about. So USC is uh, the feature game on the Pac-12 network, but in the scheme of things, in terms of nationally, that will not help USC get a vote. And USC scrambling to be, you know, there's four or five teams right now that you look at and say these could be the teams, five or six maybe, that are in contention for the college football playoff spots. And you hate to have the opening uh, game of the season that nobody's going to see in almost all the rest of the country. And that's just too bad. Uh, second week, uh, apparently, uh, if you're ESPN, you have to pick. Ohio State hosting Oklahoma as the feature game, uh, or AS, ABC has to pick that game, which knocks USC over to Fox. And the next week, Fox gets the first pick, apparently, and Fox uh, does pick USC uh, for Texas. But again, uh, you know there are a lot of there are other good games that day, and I'm just not sure. Uh, the, the, you know, college game day will come out all the way to the West Coast. 
if their you know feature game on ESPN and ABC are both back back east. So anyway, you would have liked to have seen them with the kind of start USC schedule has uh, with the three home games and you know Sanford and Texas. You would like to have seen them be able to get maybe a little more bang for their buck, but uh, doesn't look like it's going to be. And then they close out the month, and this is really, I think, uh, a shame, because they had ESPN not early designated with the Pac-12 that that would be a Friday night game. If that were a Saturday game, uh, uh, it's the fifth straight home game for Washington State. So if they get by, and they've got a, you know, a couple of really good players, quarterback and a best, maybe the best offensive lineman in the country, if they get to that game unbeaten, uh, there's a chance they, they'll be in the top 10. USC gets their unbeaten, they'll absolutely be in the top 10. Uh, and the relationship that Washington State has with, uh, with college game day, you know, they've had their flag at college game day through alumni for the, I don't know, 15, 20 straight years, every single college game day. And yet they've never been on college game day. And that would have been a per- perfect week for college game day to go to the Palouse. Uh, and they can't because the SPN stuck it on a Friday night. So USC hasn't gotten a whole lot of breaks in terms of the way the uh, September schedule has worked out. Nope. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, you know, they just luck of the draw. Everything kind of went, went against them. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, that happens at times, but, uh, you know, I really, really wish they, they would, weren't going to be on uh, the Pac-12 network for the opener. No, that, 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 that should a, not be that's happening. That's a shame. Yeah, that is a shame. Um, all right, well, let's jump into some of these questions, Dan. Um, our buddy Tarek wants to know about Dominic Davis. He says he has great hands and speed. Do you see him contributing on special teams or as a slot back this year? How can USC effectively use Dominic Davis? It's a good question. I saw uh, not – who was it? Was it Pro Football Focus? Uh, hit him as the fifth fastest, uh, player in college football. I'm not sure how exactly they know that. You know, we all see the numbers and, and what have you from high school and, and that, but, uh, but he's certainly fast enough to, to be a, you know, to be a threat. Um, it looks like, I mean, you would like to see USC play on offense the way they played the final quarter quarter and a half in the Rose Bowl and play like, you know, your life depends on it and you've got to score a lot of points and you got to put a lot of pressure and you just play as fast as you can play and, um, and put up a lot of plays because I think the way to get people like Dominic Davis a role and to be able to contribute is to run a whole lot of plays. And I know that puts more pressure on your defense. And that was always the, the rap when Oregon did it was that their defense just couldn't be any good because they were, you know, going to be on the field all the time and quick drives and, and tired and, and what have you. I think USC might be in a place where they can really go with a two-deep rotation on defense that would answer some of that. But uh, but I think, you know, like, like Clay said about, uh, you know, not backing away from players getting a lot of hype for various honors and all that, that – that the, you know, he, he basically approaches it the same way Pete Carroll did was that, uh, those awards only come if the team 
if the team has a great year. He said they don't give those awards to people on six, six and six teams. And the same way with, uh, with a guy, with all the, you know, the guys you can think about. What about this guy? Or what about that guy? I think it'll happen if they have, you know, that kind of a, a performance where they're not just hanging in there, but where they're really, uh, you know, playing basically the way they played when they were down 42 to 27 against Penn State or the way they played in the first quarter against Penn State. I mean, it was just unbelievably two different games. Uh, you know, the way the game started, the way it closed out and what the heck happened, those six, seven straight possessions that Penn State scored on. Uh, it was just, you know, figure out how to get that first and first uh, of the Rose Bowl and the end of the Rose Bowl and just go into every game and saying, this is who we are, this is how we're going to play. And you're going to have to, you know, uh, it's really going to be a challenge to be able to stop this team, you know, for 60 minutes. And, uh, so, you know, I think it's more than just Dominic. It's just a whole lot of players that, that could really have, uh, roles, uh, if, if they get it going, you know, to where you make them, you make a Stanford play your game, uh, and make them adjust. And you got to jump on people probably and make them, make them play your game. They certainly do. And I, he's one of those players you're going to watch. And uh, we, we will starting in uh, fall camp in July, as Dan said, uh, not August this year. Another interesting player that we're going to have to watch closely this fall, uh, Jamel Cook. Um, Eric in Duck Country says he seems like an interesting problem. Uh, from what Dan has said, it seems like he would be a great fit at corner, but it also sounds like his instincts and tackling ability would make him an asset close to the line of scrimmage at nickel. But if he stays at nickel, he wouldn't necessarily be on the field at all times. Where does he ultimately end up? Thanks as always, Eric. Yeah, I don't think they know. I don't think we know. I think we'd be guessing. I think, uh, they threw him in there with some injuries and that at the end of spring at corner. And they, I think that is just, you watch him and you say, man, he's got quick feet. Man, he's got good hips. Man, he can, you know, he can stop and start and change directions for a 6'4 guy who they'd like to have, you know, end up at 215 pounds. If he gets to that place, uh, you know, he'd be the biggest corner in America, I'm guessing. Uh, but, uh, I, I don't think we know. I think, you know, he's going to have to show that he, uh, and, and that's a challenge if you, you, you know, learn three spots, uh, to be able to do them perfectly. And that's what Clancy expects. You, you know, he does not want you out there on the field if you're, uh, if you're not sure of what you're supposed to do. They don't want any more of those, the kind of breakdowns that they had last year against, uh, Alabama, against, uh, Stanford. Where you just give up, you know, busted coverages, you know, uh, long touchdowns that they would not have made had you not given them the bust. I mean, the two touchdowns, you take away those two busted coverage touchdowns against Stanford, uh, as bad as USC played, that game goes down to the wire. Uh, and, and that, that just can't happen. So I think that's going to be the challenge for Jamel is to just show that, uh, uh, that he can go out there and whatever they ask him to do, he knows exactly how to do it. He's, he's so talented that, uh, I don't think he's had to concentrate on getting everything perfect because he has, you know, the body and the, the skill set to overcome, uh, some things. But, uh, but I think, uh, he's going to have to, 
get himself to that place. But uh, in terms of talent, there's not much he can't do. Certainly is not. Um, he was one of those breakout stars of the spring, and I kind of got a feeling USC fans are going to be talking a lot about him uh, when it comes around. Let's uh, let's go to Robert. Um, international question, Dan. Robert from Honduras. He said, I haven't emailed in a long oh, time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I just had to talk to Dan. I heard a CBS sports columnist, Gary Parrish's rant on a Ringer podcast. Uh, they were talking about how nobody got to see last year's number three pick, Jalen Brown, and this year's number one prospect bas- for basketball, uh, Markel Fultz play. Uh, the subject of the Pac-12 network came up, and frankly, it's embarrassing. Here's the best of Gary Parrish's rant, uh, all while the host, all the while host was laughing about it. He said, the Pac-12 network is a disaster. I pay $260 a month in my DirecTV bill. I get basically every channel, but I cannot get the Pac-12 network. And they're even arrogant about it. I emailed a guy I know who works for the network. The truth is, you really got some nice players in your league, but we can't ever see them. Would it benefit you as a league, uh, to like give us passwords? Uh, create a media password so that we could log in and very least watch a Pac-12 game. And they were like, yeah, we thought about it, but then we decided against it. I'm like, really? You don't want people who write about college basketball watching your games? Um, so he goes on, you know, so that's, that, that was Robert's, uh, rant about the Pac-12 network. You know, it's great for Robert to, you know, pursue that with Gary Parrish, who is a, you know, sharp guy and, you know, really good national college foot or basketball writer. And you would have thought that those people, you know, the Dennis Dodds and, and, uh, Andy Staples and, uh, you know, Stuart Mandels and, uh, you know, he actually does live in Bruce Feldman. They live in the Pac-12 footprint. I don't know if they can get the Pac-12 network or not, but you would have think, thought that that would have been just without even thinking the Pac-12 would have done that. I mean, anybody with any sense would have, uh, offered passwords to all of those people. So, you know, they may be covering another game, but they could be watching, you know, Sam Darnold, uh, uh, say game one. You know, he could be in another press box and still, you know, look and see how's Sam Darnold doing. Um, but it's just amazing. That that question will be put to the people at the Pac-12, quote, media days, uh, because it's just, uh, it's just, it's mind-boggling. I mean, I was a sports information director uh, at Xavier, and uh, the thought that you would close out anybody who could write about you, who could help you in any way, if you had the power to do it, you just you can't even imagine that. I mean, it's just it's it's malpractice. It's it's just professional malpractice at the Pac-12, and uh, I knew they did it. On occasion, if people would beg, and these were people in Los Angeles who couldn't get them, and they would beg, and they'd give them one for like a week. Uh, yeah, I it, had that. It made no sense. That, that happened to me. Uh, but <laughs> hey, it's a Pac-12. Yeah, yeah. So I like before. Now I get it. Because um, Frontier, uh, well, Verizon became Frontier, and they actually get it. Um, but before, they would give me like a temporary one that I could watch the Pac-12 network, but it would last like a week or so and they'd have to get another one. And, but yeah, I guess they're not, maybe they're not doing it anymore. Um, cause that was a little while know. ago. Wow. That's hard to even imagine. Or, so. or they're not doing it for, they're only doing it for local people. I am not sure. Um, that's just so self-defeating. Uh, yeah. it's just hard to even 
it's, it's almost hard to comment on because you you just can't believe it. Yeah. Clayne, our buddy from uh, Seattle, he said, Dan keeps referring, uh, uh, referencing independence from the Pac-12 for football, like Notre Dame. Uh, does Texas have a better model for their TV with the Longhorn Network? Seems to be more appropriate for USC, not requiring a parting with the league. Um, I'll jump in here real quick. I just don't think, I mean, Texas like baseball. There's a lot of stuff that's very popular and the network at least makes more sense. I think for the USC case, I just don't think so. I, I don't think a network, I think independence makes sense. I don't think an independent network for just USC would make sense, but get your thoughts on that. Dan. Yeah. Texas is, it's just hard to compare Texas to anybody. I mean, they have like a $260 million athletic budget and USC you know, would be in the, you know, the top group, but they'd be, you know, a little over a hundred million. Uh, you know, uh, and, and so Texas is in a different place. I just looked at the latest, like the top 10, uh, stadium naming rights in college. And one of the ones, you know, is down like number 10 or so is 13, a $13 million naming rights. And then you realize, oh, wait, that's for the Texas baseball stadium. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, they can get more for their baseball stadium than most schools can get for their football stadium. So, and to be honest, the Longhorn Network, uh, hasn't worked. It hasn't done well. It's lost money. ESPN is not happy at all with, you know, that they've made some, uh, moves that they're not happy with and, and the Longhorn Network is, is one of them. So, uh, so yeah, I, I don't know that that works, but, uh, the Notre Dame model, you know, I keep looking at it if I'm USC, where you're mostly in a conference, and football, you have the ability to to go your own way. And Notre Dame, you know, they get paid. You know, they they have a nice place for their you know basketball and baseball and all their women's sports in the Atlantic Coast Conference, uh, which has a lot of schools that are academically, you know, on par with Notre Dame, and then uh, they're uh, they're free to still be the kind of national, you know, independent that they've always been in football. And, uh, I think that's worked well. Whether there is another partner network, you know, NBC we hear is going mostly, uh, with, uh, the Olympic sports and other kinds of sports. Uh, is there somebody that matches up well? I mean, to me, I would think, uh, they've done pretty well with Notre Dame. Would NBC want kind of like a, you know, two time zone deal where you'd have Notre Dame in the earlier game and USC in the later game or something like that? Uh, or does it, you know, devolve that, uh, the Big 12 eventually can't really hold itself together? And, uh, you know, do Texas and Oklahoma go the same direction? Is the Pac-12 ever going to be nimble enough to put something together? Like that, uh, uh, you know, a Pac-12 East and West or a Pac, big Pac East and West. Uh, I don't know, but, uh, I think it's, it's incumbent on USC to be looking at every possible model, um, and not depending on the Pac-12 to make their, their decisions for them. And USC's got to say, you know, we have to take this on our own and figure out what's best for USC. And what we can do, uh, if you want that model before 2024, 25, 
when the con- TV contract is up now, uh, they have to figure out some sort of settlement issue in terms of dollars. I think the big, who was it, the Big 12? No, ACC last year. I think they got $31 million from Maryland as the final payment in Maryland leaving uh, the ACC to go to the Big Ten. So I think if USC did something like that, there'd certainly be something like that involved. Uh, and yet USC would have kind of a uh, a little bit of a, a club in negotiating that because all the Pac-12 schools recruit in Los Angeles and they want to be able to play here as much as possible. So I think you'd have that ability that, say, Notre Dame has that uh, the Atlantic Coast Conference schools all would like to get Notre Dame on their schedule. So uh, I just think USC shouldn't take anything off the table right now because college sports are changing, you know, so drastically and probably faster. And we're going to have some things in the war room we're going to talk about for tomorrow. Uh, faster than anybody, uh, you know, imagined. We all know about, you know, the cord cutters that are cutting back ESPN's numbers and the ability of ESPN to do big contracts in the future. And yet, you know, the people like USC and Alabama and Texas and Ohio State and Penn State, those schools are still going to be very, very attractive uh, to TV people. But the deals are going to be different. I mean, I can't imagine there will ever be another TV deal where USC and Oregon State and Washington State will all get the same amount of money. That's never going to happen again. How you get to where those new deals are is uh, going to take some smart, some smart figuring out. Whether you know USC's equipped to do that, I don't know. I don't know. Whether anybody in the Pac-12 is equipped to do that, I don't know. But they better start thinking about it because a lot of other places they are thinking about it yeah um i wouldn't put it past the the same kind of deal happening again but yeah the the landscape's gonna be so different by the time uh the pac-12 signs another deal or whatever but yeah usc just screwed themselves by allowing them to be paid the exact same amount as a washington state or an oregon state um earl in west la wrote in i am trying to contain my excitement but the return of all of usc starters next season so he's talking about basketball Plus a host of newcomers, including Charles O'Bannon Jr. and Duke transfer, uh, Derek Thornton is good news. I was not expecting when, uh, Metu and Aaron and Boatwright and Stewart declared for the NBA draft. I fear 2016 would be repeating itself. Meanwhile, conference champion Oregon and UCLA lost four starters and Arizona lost two starters, putting the Trojans in position to seriously contend for the Pac 12 championship and a deep run in the NCAA tournament. Is this really possible, or am I being delusional? Earl in West L.A. Well, I think USC's got a deeper team than anybody in the country. I mean, and when was the last time you could say they've got more talent at more spots than anybody? Now, I think Arizona, you have to pick them, number one, the way their recruiting has gone and who decided to come back. As it turns out, you know, they're really in good shape. But honestly, right now, I think two of the best four teams in the country – that we're pretty sure of now some of these, you know, like Kentucky's got a new team every year. So who the heck knows? But, uh, uh, you know, in that kind of a matchup, I think USC ought to have an advantage. I think USC ought to also have the advantage going too deep to really go after people on defense instead of sitting back half court 
and uh, and letting teams kind of slow the game down or power the ball inside. USC doesn't have any big, you know, uh, aircraft carrier type, uh, you know, inside guys, more the lean, long arm guys. But uh, but you know, as a team that that came back a dozen times, and mostly they're off a lot of those double digit down because you know they. They got into transition and they just ran away from people and they ran by them and they got the ball to the, you know, the glass, uh, cause they, they can get into the passing lanes and they've got long arms and quick hands and quick feet. And they got a team that can jump like, you know, a lot of guys that can get it to the glass. And then they've got the guys that, you know, on transition, if you don't get the ball, uh, you know, for a dunk or a layup, you come back with a quick, uh, transition three where people spot up and defenses don't have time to set up for you, and they've got the shooters. So they've got a model, I think. If they just decide, look, we've got this many guys, we got 12, 11, 12 guys that deserve to be on the floor, and if we, you know, just go all out, you know, 40 minutes, you know, I don't know if you go back to the Jerry Tarkanian model or the Nolan Richardson model or the Rick Pitino model when he was at Kentucky, where you just take teams out of games because you've got more players, you got more athletes, you don't let them hang around, uh, you don't try to play half-court basketball, which you don't play all that terribly well, and uh, make the game go your way. If they make, uh, you know, a concerted effort, we're going to... We have more players than you. We have more talent. We have more, uh, you know, guys, and we can do more things if we get the game going at our tempo. And just not be afraid to do that. I think if they do that. Uh, they can be, they can be a very good, very good basketball team. And and I I don't think it's out of the question for them to say, just like the football team, we expect to be in the Final Four. That's just that's where we think this is going, and this is where it's headed. And it's interesting because it's hard to say. USC right now he is by far the highest projected football-basketball combination in the country. There's nobody close in terms of teams that could be, uh, you know, are as well thought of in both football and basketball as USC. I think Louisville is the next one that has two teams projected in the top 25, and they're like 10 places combined for football-basketball behind USC. And, uh, you know, I know it's hard to get used to, hard to think about wow you know football is back but so is basketball i mean you know usc's only made it final four once in what 1954 so that takes a little adjustment in your thinking but i don't think it's unwarranted at all all right well dan we got one more topic and it's always a hot topic and we get a lot of emails and calls and stuff about the coliseum Stephen Poway wrote it actually two different times since the last podcast. Okay. I'll, just, I'll just read one of them. Um, but it, you know, it's kind of along the same lines, but he said he read about, uh, athletic director Lynn Swan's comments that USC season ticket holders are, uh, unhappy with the, the reseeding plan. They may be fearful because they're fearful of change. He said athletic directors are trained to, to shut out the, Noisy din from irate alumni and fans. They pride themselves on having very thick skin. In fact, uh, didn't Lynn Swan learn from USC's early season losses and subsequent calls for Helton's firing this past fall that the best strategy in the end is to ignore the screaming USC alumni and fans calling for change 
Here's my question. Could Lin Swan's offhand response to what is obviously a, in all caps, huge architectural blunder indicate a serious uh, misapplication of what is otherwise a healthy coping strategy? And if so, how can alumni and fans break through to Swan and Hayden to actually stop this runaway train? Thanks for covering this important issue, Steve in Poway. Uh, yeah, Steve. I, I mean, I, I think in some ways Lynn has, has an excuse. It all happened before he got here. So, I, you know, it's hard to ask him to jump in front of that train. <laughs> it's hard to ask Clay to do that. I, I, I got some time when I, in a one-on-one with Clay and made the points because we finally have, and we haven't published it yet, still working on it, but after all sorts of dialogue and conversations and, you know, could USC do this and could USC do that, I think we've come up with a plan that, that allows the founders to have their exclusivity and their uh, proximity to the field. You know, if you're giving them seven and a half to $10 million, which was the plan that they picked up from Texas A&M, and those people were given uh, in a triple-deck stadium underneath the uh, first deck, uh, or the second deck, right above the first, they were, they're really close to the field. And they wanted to do that at USC. And I think the big mistake was they decided they had to combine that with a new press box and club seats and club boxes. And the ultimate plan ends up with 2,200 seating for 2,200 and taking out more than 9,000 seats, the best 9,000 seats held by the most loyal fans, which is going to require a reseeding for the 2018 season and another reseeding for the 2019 season. It's a, it, it's just a, a, an unbelievably bad way for USC to go. And then on top of everything else, they get this commitment, $70 million commitment from United Airlines and, and USC alum and their president, Oscar Munoz, and they're going to have to deal with once this starts happening, the reseeding, all the reaccommodation jokes, uh, you know, that United Airlines probably doesn't want to hear. If they're going to give 70 million. I don't think they want to be subject to all the kinds of things that people are going to say that when they're being forcefully reassigned, uh, seats somewhere else. There is a way you can do this. If you decouple the, the founder suites from everything else, I mean, there is a way to save the seats on the sideline as, as, and, and turn those into club seats. There's a way to do a press box uh, with uh, room for private boxes, uh, very similar to the one at Cal. It's just a great, I mean, the best one we see all year. Uh, and finish the stadium uh, on the field, finish the end zone, uh, and give USC, for example, a plaza under the peristyle above some above field suites that would be a finished uh, uh, curved, you know, excuse me, a finished peristyle end zone that would allow you to have uh, 5,000 to 10,000 standing room that will make up in the big games for the uh, uh you know, the loss of seats that you're going to have to lose when you widen the aisles and deepen the rows and, and, and put in bigger seats. So you're, you're necessarily going to lose seats. But this gives USC a chance. And to say that that's not a good idea, uh, in AT&T Stadium in Texas, uh, for the Cowboys, they have standing room for up to 20,000 people. 
the new uh, Ram Stadium is going to have standing room for 10,000. And L.A. is such a big game town. College football is such a big game sport that I don't think you can go forward without building in standing room so that you can accommodate the numbers, uh, you know, people that are going to want to be there, you know, for the UCLA game, for the Notre Dame game, for the Stanford game, if it decides the Pac-12 or the Oregon game, if they, you know, if they come back. Uh, and uh, this plan doesn't do that. We think we've got a plan that does do it, and, and we're going to try to get it, get it to the people who can make the right decision on on going that route because they've got till December and there's still enough time. Yes, there is. Uh, you're going to keep hearing about it and uh, people keep asking about it. We'll keep talking about it on the Peristyle. Definitely check out the site. Well, Dan will have more on that. We'll probably have some stuff in the war room. So uh, definitely check all that out. All right, Dan. Well, great stuff. Um, got to clean up a lot of the uh, loose ends that maybe popped up during the week, but I'm glad we got to do a show this week. Great. No, either. and like we say, it's not like there's no news. It's not like stuff isn't happening. Uh, it just keeps keeps on happening with the, uh, especially with the scheduling uh, schedule being released, the TV stuff. That uh, and and for people just to be aware, TV talk is going to be a big part of where this, where this goes for USC football because it's really going to matter, uh, and it's really important, and it's really changing, and they've really got to get it right, and uh, so. It's gonna, you're gonna hear a lot of TV talk, I think, over the next few years. Yeah. <laughs> you certainly will. And, uh, it's gonna be all through the industry. So, um, and, you know, a lot of times USC is gonna be on the sidelines for this whole thing because they signed the, the 45 year deal with the Pac 12 network or whatever it was. Um, so, <laughs> so there'll be a lot this of changes. Is, well, that is the crazy part. USC got a big bump because they were the first ones of the Power Five conferences to renegotiate. And they were coming from such a terrible place where the Pac-12 was that they got this big bump and everybody thought, oh, my God, that's the greatest. And then you realize the Big Ten, for example, will renegotiate three times before the Pac-12 gets its next shot, its next bite of the apple. And now you realize why ESPN and Fox really were so willing to give uh, the Pac-12 the deal they gave them because... Uh, it's a really good deal for ESPN and, and Fox. It may not be a really good deal in the future, but it was now, and, and, and the back 12 is, is kind of stuck. And, and moving from the top of the, you know, they were for a while, a year or two, they were the top uh, conference, and now they're pretty much uh, fifth out of five. And that's not the right direction to be going. Certainly not. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Thanks again for uh, coming on the show, and we look forward to uh, talking to you again real soon. Thanks very much. All right. That's Dan Weber. Check his stuff out on uscfootball.com. As always, I'm your host, publisher of uscfootball.com, Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed this Peristyle podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. 
you've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 